Mother's Day again. You're welcome, Ken. <laughs> um, Katie looked at me yesterday, and she said, uh, I'm so glad that we are not going to a church this morning and hearing a sermon about mothers. <laughs> uh, we celebrate mothers, but we do not make mothers an idol in the church. Instead, we want to preach expositorily. Nothing wrong with preaching a text that has mothers in view, but oftentimes I don't think that the text is treated well because people are trying to conform to holidays that we have invented. And so I just want to continue through Genesis this morning, and we will celebrate mothers, but we will preach the Word of God, and uh, we will exposit it. Hopefully, we will exposit it well together this morning. Lord, thank you again for being with us. Please be with us as we move through this text in Genesis chapter 1. Conform our minds to yours. Conform our hearts to the hearts of Christ. Transform us as we sit under your teaching. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 14, going through verse 23. Um, in fact, I think I just want to read the the whole of chapter 1 here before we dive into verses 14 through 23. I wanted to make it through the end of the chapter this morning, but that is not going to happen. I'll let you know right now, uh, there's too much too much on the sixth day for me to cover it today with days 4 and 5, but today we will cover days 4 and 5. Let's start at the beginning here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning a second day. Then God said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning a third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. And God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day 
and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning a fourth day. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply And fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening, and there was morning, a fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and every living thing that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. And the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now I want us to think for a moment. We've, we've seen God create light and darkness. We saw him create the cosmos. We saw him separate waters from waters, making the sky. We saw him separate the waters underneath the sky, and bring forth dry land, and we have seen God grow by the word of his mouth, the first vegetables, the first plant life upon the earth. And today, we get to days 4 and 5 in the creation account, verses 13 through 23, 14 through 23. And we begin to see some parallelism in the text. We begin to to see some poetry that Moses is employing here. Poetry similar to that of other ancient Near East literature, um, but particularly poetry that is is very unique to the nation of Israel. They use quite a few what are called chiasms or chiasms in their poetry. Uh, This is not that. I'll explain that later when we get to the Psalms, because there's a lot of chiastic literature in the Psalms. But this is parallelism Moses is using. And it's really important to notice, because I think he's very intentional about using this parallelism, this form of poetry, this form of art in his literature, especially as he's writing in a popular genre of the day. He's making this uniquely Hebrew literature. This parallelism we see is in the first three days 
We see the creation of the heavens and the earth. We see the creation of light. And then we see the creation of the sky and land, right? That's the first three days. And then in the, in the second three days, in days four, five, and six, we see the creation of things that go in those places. And so today, uh, day four, we see the creation of the stars in the skies or the commanding of the stars in the skies. Let there be and there are. And these things provide the light. So on day one, God creates the cosmos. On day four, which parallels day one, he, he says, let there be stars, the sun, the moon, the things that go in the cosmos. On day two, he creates the skies and the land and the vegetation. And on day five, he creates birds that go in the sky. And he creates sea creatures to to fill the seas. On day three, God is creating land and vegetation. And on day six, he's creating animal kind and humankind to dwell upon the land of the earth and to eat that vegetation. And I think this parallelism is very important. And we're going to see it as we move through the text even today. And we see it as we move through the rest of of the text of Scripture. Uh, It's like God creates the world and his plan from the beginning is to fill, fill his creation, particularly the earth, but we also see it in the cosmos as he fills the cosmos with with stars and planets, the sun and the moon. And I think that's important to realize because, again, we see God's providence at play in the creation. And the fact that God didn't just create, right? He wasn't simply creating to create. He's not this kind of God that creates and then steps back and lets creation do whatever it's going to do. God creates with the intent to fill. In the prophet Jeremiah, chapters 30 30 and 31, we see Jeremiah say that God created the earth in order to establish it. And I think that's the same idea. And we see this as early as chapter 1, like God doesn't just create the universe and let it spin. He creates and he fills. And he fills not just with anything, but with life, something else he has to create intentionally because we know just by observing the world around us that life cannot come from non-life. We've never observed that by the scientific method or otherwise. It just can't happen. And so God creates the world and he fills the world, the earth. Now, church, from the very start here, I want you to answer a question for me. Does God change? Well, no, because if he, if he were to change in his essence and in his thought and in his decisions, he would not be God, right? He would not be all-knowing. He would not be the one who provides all things. He would not be sovereign because he is subjecting himself to Change. So God cannot change. Can God deny himself? Well, no, God cannot deny himself. Malachi the prophet came out and said it. God cannot deny himself. If he were to deny himself, that would make him a changing being, right? And he does not change. So from the beginning, God's plan was to fill the earth. 
His plan will be to fill the earth through the end. And so here, even in Genesis chapter 1, we get some hints at proper eschatology moving forward. And this is why in the book of Revelation, when we get to the end of the Bible, right, it's about the saints inheriting the earth, not moving to some ethereal place called heaven. This is why God uh, promises in, in Jesus Christ, right, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, this is why he says that the meek will inherit the, what, earth. I mean, the whole of creation from the very beginning, it's, it's centered on the earth. And no, the earth is not the center of the universe. It's not what we claim as Christians. But the earth is where everything is happening. The earth is the, the rock God chose to put life on, to fill with living creatures and with his image bearers. And he does not change. In the end, the earth will be full of his image bearers. And they will not depart from the earth because if that were to happen, we would contradict everything we read here in Genesis 1. And from Genesis 1 onward through the history and the poets and the prophets. So we notice that from the very outset here. And we're going to see it more and more as we move through the text, especially the first 11 chapters of Genesis. It's all about God preparing the way to establish his people on earth and have his people inherit the earth, the whole of creation. As a side note here, I usually don't do side notes because it's too easy to get off into rabbit trails. I had someone ask me not too long ago, you think, you think animals go to heaven? I don't think animals have souls like people have souls, right? They're certainly not born again of the Spirit. And so my answer was, well, no. But God fills his earth, and the saints will inherit the earth, and there will be a multitude of creatures on the earth. So it's possible that we will have pets, but I do not think our current pets, their, their souls, go to heaven. Um, so just an interesting side note there, something people are curious about. I'm not sure it actually helps. People are curious about it, right? Let's begin walking through this text. Verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. This verse is very interesting. These lights that are being talked about here, these are the stars. Uh, here Moses is talking about the sun and the moon and the multitude of heavenly astral bodies that are out there, right? The, the stars, the planets, the rocks, the, the asteroids, the meteors, all of that that are in outer space. And here... In verse 14, if, if we read it like it is commonly, most popularly read, it sure looks like God is creating the stars after he has created light. But he is creating those stars and the sun and the moon to provide the light because that's very explicit in the text. This is one of the early problems I had with what was being taught in the church because I would go and I would ask, and I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, I would go and I, I would ask, so God is creating the stars in order to provide the light. But we're teaching that 
he created light before he created the stars. But God does not contradict himself, and God does not God does not deny himself. And if he creates the stars in order to provide the light, how could he create the light before he created the stars? And the most common answer I got was, you just need to have faith, young man. You just need to have enough faith. You just need to believe what the Bible teaches and stop believing all that evolution garbage. And right away that alienated me from what was being taught because I thought people don't want to reason about this, right? So what I want to do is just take a careful look at what the text says. Walk through verse 14 and 15 here very slowly so that we can see what's being said and so that we can see whether or not there's a contradiction in the text because my problem wasn't this contradicts modern science. My problem was I see a contradiction in the text right there. If God creates the stars to provide the light, but he created the light before he created the stars, so there were no stars to provide the light, is is God being inconsistent here? That was my question. And that, I think, is the question we desperately need to answer here. Verse 14, and God said, Let there be lights, talking about the stars, the sun, and the moon. Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. Now this is happening on a fourth day. Uh, We can see that in verse 19. God is saying, let there be. But look with me at verse 15 at the very end. It does not say the stars and the sun and the moon at this point came into existence. The text simply says, and it was so. Moses uses his same vague, inexact language that we, that we love so much as 21st century Americans. I think one of the things we've done in the modern age is read so much into this text that wasn't there. And I think I've mentioned this already. Like we read Genesis 1. Um, for a purpose, Moses did not write it to accomplish. We read it trying to figure out the minutia of creation. But if we read it for what it is, the text does not say that these lights, the stars, the sun, and the moon were created on the fourth day. The text says, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. And it was so. Like it's, it's possible, yes, that he created the stars, the sun, and the moon on the fourth day. But the most we can say from the text right here is that God was revealing them from the perspective of the earth. Let, let, let there be, and there, there is. Right? And so we don't want to read too much into this. We simply know God is speaking on a fourth day. Where does he create these lights? In the expanse of the heavens. As we mentioned before, the heavens could refer to what? The cosmos, or they could refer to the sky. There were some medieval believers who thought that God created these stars in the expanse, meaning the firmament between the waters above and the waters below. Which is why when someone like, uh, who was it that said the earth is round? You remember? 
Was it Galileo? Is that who it was? You don't know? All right. I guess it ultimately doesn't matter this morning. But someone came along and said, the earth is round. And he was greatly persecuted by the medieval church, right? A bunch of people who believed the earth was flat. There's water. There's a firmament called sky with sun, moon, and stars in the firmament going somehow over the flatness of the earth and then waters above that. And that's like, that's the cosmology of the day. That's, that's how they thought about the planet earth and the way it existed like in the, the cosmos. And so this medieval community, largely Roman Catholic, started persecuting Galileo. Today, most people agree that the earth is probably round, right? And that when we read this text, we don't have to read that the stars and the sun and the moon were created in a firmament because the text doesn't have to mean that, right? Because the heavens could also refer to the cosmos, which is what they did in verse 1. So we're not just pulling that out of thin air, right? An expanse means an empty space. It doesn't have to be the firmament. So I, I take this to mean that in the expanse of outer space, the cosmos, God, God placed the stars, and he placed the sun, and he placed the moon. And other than that, Moses isn't giving us an exact cosmology here. We often come to this text saying, give me, give me the minutia. Tell me exactly what God is doing here. And we normally come to Genesis chapter 1 for the purpose of arguing against someone or against an idea or philosophy. Moses is doing that, but it's not the ideas and philosophies that we argue against. He's arguing against in contradiction to the ancient Near East myths of his time. And we'll see that at play later in this text as well. So these lights are placed in the expanse of the heavens. Why are these lights, these stars, the sun, the moon, why are they placed in the expanse of the heavens? To separate the day from the night. They are placed there to be signs for seasons and days and years. So we we know that God, by his providence, created the sun, the moon, and the stars in order to serve as the source of the light upon the earth. The light he has already revealed on the earth. And he created the sun, moon, and the stars so that that we could actually track the passing of time. It's amazing how early peoples in, in the ancient history of the world figured out how long a year was approximately, right? Figured out how to calculate months and seasons to grow crops and figured out how to navigate the sea without cool tools like like compasses. They figured out how to make accurate maps. They figured out when the seasons were going to change, when they needed to plant their crops. And they figured it out by doing what? Looking to the heavens. Seeing that, hey, the stars have a pattern. The sun has a pattern as it 
seems to us to go across the, the night sky. The moon has phases. So we're going to create months based on the phases of the moon because it seems to have a, a, a pretty constant pattern going across the night sky and waning and waxing and coming into its fullness. We're going to create years based on the seasons so that we can keep track of our crops and growth and economies in years. God created the sun, moon, and stars for such a purpose. He, he gave us natural tools. And still today, we, we use the sun, moon, and stars to calculate seasons and months and years. And even the, the time of day by which we live. When we know to show up here at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, because people came up with times based on the placement of the sun in the sky. God created these lights for such a purpose. And the text tells us that plainly. And so, so earlier, when there was the first evening and morning, we know that, that God created the sun, moon, and the stars to provide even that first evening and morning. And the, and the text here doesn't clarify that these things came into existence on a fourth day, but it does clarify God spoke, commanded them on a fourth day. And that's when it became very clear from the perspective of earth, even though there are no people to perceive this yet, right? It became very clear from the perspective of the earth that God creates the source of the light. He doesn't just arbitrarily create things to exist in thin air. Like he creates a source, he creates a system, and he created the laws of physics. And everything that that implies, which is absolutely amazing, like if, if there were no intelligent, sovereign, providential creator who puts systems in place and does not deny himself, we would never be able to trust any pattern. We would never be able to trust any law of physics. We wouldn't be able to trust gravity. We wouldn't be able to trust when we go to bed at night that we are going to wake up in the morning. Like The way God is putting together the universe... means he is trustworthy. And he is not a God who just does things out of thin air. This is why later on in the Old Testament, when we start reading the law, like mysticism is so evil, and wizardry and, and, and warlockery is so evil. And that trying to communicate with the dead is so evil because God is a God who has put systems in place and his and his systems are his providence at work. This is why it's so evil for churches, particularly those given over to the health and wealth of prosperity gospel, to, to pray all the time for God to change the natural systems that he has put in place. Like that is, is evil. Because God is a God of order and not of chaos. And Moses, in this, speaking against the ancient Near East mythologies of his day, speaking against all these 
false gods and false systems, even though it's a matter of chaos versus order, right? That's why Moses is very careful to mention these things and connect things together like here's the source, especially in parallel fashion. So on on day one, creation of the cosmos, revelation of light from the cosmos, and on day four, there's a source. Stars, the sun, the moon. And so Moses is establishing the fact, again, that God is a God of order and that chaos is actually something that does not exist under his sovereignty and providence. And so we shouldn't worship chaos or the coming out of chaos. Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Verse 16, God made the two great lights. Moses doesn't say when he made them. I think this is clarification, right? God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day. What's that star called? The sun. And the lesser light to govern the night, that is the moon. It reflects the light of the sun to the earth. And he made the stars also, like, he's saying, God made the... Why does Moses have to clarify this? Like, he already said, God said, let there be, and there was. Why does he now have to clarify, God made these things? God is the one who made these things. God is the one who made these things. He's speaking in the midst of a culture, and he grew up being taught the ancient Near East mythology, which teaches there is a different God controlling each element within the cosmos. There is a sun God... And there is a moon god. And when you get down to earth, there, there, there are even gods that control the sea. And there are gods that control aspects of the land. And there are gods uh, who control storms. And in fact, each province, and this is true for Egypt, right? Where Moses came out of, where the Israelites came out of. There is a god for each province. Each city has its own deity. Its own local deity. And they worship that deity so that the city can can succeed. And here Moses is clarifying, nope. Now there is one. There is one God who created the cosmos. That same God created the stars. That same God created the waters on the earth. That same God created the sky. That same God created the land. That same God created the sun. That same God created the moon. He is sovereign over all of it. He controls all of it. There is no chaos. This single, same God has providence over all things, created the systems, created the laws. This single God is the reason you can grow your crops and trust that the systems work, trust that you can wake up in the morning. God made these lights. And he made them to govern the day and the night, to separate the light from the darkness. Again, this is how we can know like light and darkness can't be separated from each other without the stars and the sun and the moon that God created to do these things. These are the sources of the separation that God instituted. 
And God saw that it was good. Again, we see God observing his creation. Looking at it, the work of his hands. And recognizing it is good. That is good. And there was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Again, the same inexact language we saw with one day, a second day, a third day. And here, the inexact language reading, a fourth day instead of the fourth day. And again, that's important. And we'll see how important it is when we get to days six and seven, where there is a definite article, the sixth day, the seventh day. Verse 20, then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth and the open expanse of the heavens. And look at this explicitly, God created. At this point, God created. It's explicit in the text. So when Moses wants it to be very explicit, he makes it very explicit. Like God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind, and God saw that it was good. Here we see something similar to when God created plant life. He doesn't reveal life right here in this moment. No, he's creating it. Why? Because life isn't just going to come about. God created the plants on the day he created the plants. And here he is creating fish and sea monsters and birds after their kinds. And Moses is very careful to explain that too. Like he creates them after their kinds. Different types of birds respectively give birth to that type of bird. The same with the fish, the same with the sea monsters and creatures. They multiply after their kind. Something wonky isn't going to happen. God is a God of order. There is no chaos in his creation. His systems are solid and they're trustworthy and they're constant. Which is why when your dog has puppies, you can trust that they're going to be puppies. So, God created the great sea monsters, every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind. God steps back, observes his creation again, and recognizes it is good. And then God does something he hasn't done yet, which I think is pretty cool. He didn't do this with plant life, but with, with the birds and with the sea creatures and the fish, he speaks to them. And he blesses them. He blesses them. The work of his hands. Be fruitful and multiply. And here it is. And fill. Fill. Fill the waters in the seas. And let the birds multiply on the earth. God doesn't just create and let his creation go. He created the cosmos and the earth, the heavens and the earth, in order to fill them. And there was evening, and there was morning, a fifth day. Again, the same inexact language we have seen 
from Moses this whole time. Now we know, we know that Moses believes and asserts a literal 24-hour, six-day creation, but we don't know that from here. We know it from Exodus chapter 20, right? When he says, in six days, God created the sky and the earth and everything that what? Fills them. And still in Exodus, Moses is majoring on the fact that God is filling. God is filling. He's not done. He is filling. God is progressing his creation. And so I think Moses was post-millennial. Say that lightheartedly, right? Um, there wasn't a, a distinguishing. I'm sure in Moses' time there wasn't a distinguishing between post-millennial and pre-millennial and all that. Uh, but even in Moses' day, well, maybe not exactly a post-millennial. There are going to be some differences. Christ hadn't come yet and established the kingdom of heaven on the earth. Uh, he hadn't done that yet. Um, but still, Moses was recognizing God's making progress here. Even from Genesis 1, God created the world. It is good, but he's not done working. He is filling the earth with his creatures. And in the end, the earth will be full. Because what? God does not fail. In the end, the earth will be full with God's creatures and God's people. And I think that's the major takeaway today. Like We think things are bad from our perspective. We see a lot of suffering from our perspective. We see that in many ways, at least from our perception, the world has gone to hell, right? And we can major on all the negative things in our lives and the way that things don't work out. And we can be anxious about the things to come. But ultimately, if we believe what the Bible teaches about God overall, his character and his providence and his sovereignty from Genesis 1-1 onward, and we believe that ultimately... God's creation is good. God is created with a purpose. He is making progress. And in the end, the world will be full of his creatures and his people. And we can trust in that. And we can take joy in that. And we can take pride in the work we do toward that end. Amen.